to be joking. You've got to be joking. Now, when the treasurer wishes oh, to go no. there or not, I would forbid him going. Forbid him going to the Senate. To, uh, to uh, account for this unrepresentative swell over there. Hello and welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Boy, does it feel good to be back in Rob's dungeon basement. Oh, yes, it does. Free um, of exams, a lot of free time on my hands. It's actually been a while since you've been in here, Nick, right? Yeah, it's been a hot minute, been a few weeks. It has been a few, minu- they- few, few minutes, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> it, literally a few minutes. <laughs> They've missed me at Mary Street in Highgate. Yeah. Local. Um, oh, I'm sure you're a first name basis with the uh, Mary Street Cafe, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Check out all the staff there. I'm known across many Mary Streets across the city. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of famous, Rob. Kind of a big deal. Kind R- of. Ron Burgundy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sure. <laughs> of course. It's, uh, it's been a big week in politics, Rob. While we've been frantically studying away, you submitting your assignments, me damaging my hand in written exams. <laughs> uh, we've had you know, Rome two weeks ago, the G20 summer, and then, of, of course, COP26, which we haven't fully addressed yet because it was still happening last week. Yeah. And a lot of stuff going on with us and the French. And something we're going to visit a lot la- later in this app as well, so hang around for that, is uh, a lot of things flaring up in the US. Got to s- check in with how Biden's going with his presidency. Of probably. course, because, you know, we, sp- we spent way too little time talking about the US election earlier this year. Uh, and all the consequences and uh, fallout from that event. So, you know, good to check back in because I feel like a lot of people just kind of think, oh, yeah, as soon as, as, soon as um, the good guys win, in, in our case, it was Biden, now it's all back to normal and it's all, you know, US hunky-dory again. But maybe it's not like that, Nick. Maybe no, it's not. No, far from it. And actually, if you think about it, probably not. Yeah, that doesn't <laughs> make much sense, does it, Rob? No, not at all. Yeah, but first, why don't we just run through the news, Rob? Yeah, yes, please. I'd love you to do a, that. A lot of I have no idea what's happening last yeah, week. Yeah, we're a bit rattled, we should say. Yeah, did you do anything yesterday? Just uh, by the way, after finishing exams? No, I just went home, had a, cu- had a cup of tea and then went to bed. Of after course. my exam at lunchtime. <laughs> uh, no, me and Rob actually uh, rejoiced. We had a few beverages to celebrate end of our studies for this year. Yeah. Rob's feeling a bit, a bit dusty this morning. I'm getting a coffee for the first time. Yeah, while, huge. So, Rob know. finally took me up on my offer to get him something from Mary Street. I appreciate it, Nick. I appreciate yeah. it. Um, but I'm feeling great. As always, I'm going to bring the thunder. So don't worry. Don't you worry, Yeah, Rob. thanks very much, Nick. You'll hold my hand through this one. Appreciate <laughs> You've it. You've been Rob. holding my hand through exams, so it's all right. <laughs> tap my back, I tap yours. Anyway, Rob, um, amazing things happening over the week. So we got to address the trouble with the French. Yeah, how how interesting was this? Hey, this was this is getting crazy. So I think we mentioned last week uh, that Macron, in an interview, called Scomo a liar. Yeah, he knows he's a liar as well. Yeah, about the dispute with the submarines and the contracts, and did Australia tell France we were going to back out? All that kind of stuff. French are really pissed about this. Anyway, Scott Morrison made the excellent decision to leak a text message from Macron to him to the Murdoch press out of everyone yep. and it got published all across the world and man the French were pissed the French ambassador to Australia went on like a 30 minute rant about it at the it, press at club, the press right? club yeah. yeah 
hilarious. I mean, they're pissed off. And, like, I get it, Rob. I just don't... I can't believe that uh, this is the way our government is approaching this diplomatic problem. Like, does this bloke ever understand that not everything has to be fucking presented to the media with your shitty marketing spin on it? Just do good old-fashioned regular diplomacy that's helped Australia be one of the safest middle powers for the last 70 years. Since World War Two, that is. Yeah, I just... I don't know where... How he thought that was going to be of any benefit to Australia and his personal popularity. Like, I, who approved this? Who ticked this? I have no idea. You know, like, I think that the thing he wants to run out of this is that he's sticking up for Australians and he's not going to let Macron. But Macron's not angry at Australia. I don't think any of the French ambassadors, they're just angry at Scott himself at this point. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It really... All of the commentary around this has been like, you know, this is a kind of new low leaking leaking text messages between leaders, like, you know, pretty unprecedented. It's Um, shocking, Nick. Yeah, I I, I don't know what... I really don't know what was going through his head. It reminded me, Rob, of a a part of uh, Malcolm Turnbull's autobiography that I read a while ago when he was talking about Scott Morrison when he was treasurer. And Malcolm said he would always just leak stuff. And they would say in cabinet, like, all right, guys, don't don't talk about this until like next no week. Leaking. And then the next day it would just be leaked. And everyone just knew it was Scott Morrison's office leaking it. He's he's ridiculous. He's always got to be the first to the press. He's That's all he cares about. He's not a governor or he's just a fucking marketer. And can I just say, he's so not a good angry. marketer. He got yeah. fired from multiple marketing jobs. <laughs> and this is a true story. <laughs> I just, I learned this the other week. It's like, I th- kind of thought that was always a joke, but he actually did get fired from at least two marketing jobs. Yeah. Um, so there you go. I mean, the writing's on the wall, you know? And this is another one. This, you know, when paired with our climate change record, our record on human rights surrounding refugees, et cetera, et cetera. Gee, it makes it harder and harder to be an Australian, really, you know? Oh, it's embarrassing. It's I, so I, embarrassing. I feel so embarrassed when I see Scott Morrison with his stupid little grin walking around COP26 telling everyone how great Australia is. Well, you do it the Australian way. Oh, God, it's so embarrassing, Rob. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't care about this, you know, I'll say somewhat superficial stuff about the French. Um, if, you know, Scott Morrison was... A somewhat better leader in more important areas, but yeah, there's no way. It's just consist absolutely consistent with his style of leadership or his lack of leadership, I should say. Yeah, honestly, it's just terrible, and you know, shame, shame, shame for the fact that I have to be Australian now, and you're my prime minister, Scott. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you know, that's <laughs> as we've said on the podcast before. A lot of coalition governments over the past decade been pretty bad to be under most of them. I mean, Abbott and Scott in particular. Yeah, I just just want Australia to be normal. Is that too much to ask? Yeah, we're really falling back. You know, it's not a modern country anymore, really modern in the sense of, you know, taking, having a future outlook on policy and what things are going to (laughs) do. We don't really have any outlook on policy. We're just what... what, uh, the media wants Scott to do, he does. It seems like just, you know, struggling to catch up is the way you could summarise governments over the past few years. 
It'll be interesting to see, though, Nick, your theory of will he just come out and ask the media, what do you want me to do now? Like, everything Guys, I do just keeps going wrong. Help just, me. Just tell me. I'll, I mean, I'll do it. Just tell me, though. So, yeah, no vision. Usual stuff from Scott, really. Yeah, so at COP26, this was on full display. Um, and we made the point last week that the... The point of COP26 was to encourage countries to set more ambitious 2030 targets. Uh, and Australia, of course, has refused to do that, uh, coming to the summit with a, a net zero by 2050 commitment that and, almost imploded the government. And he's doing it the Australian way, that net zero. Yeah, the Australian. So, and, you know, there's a bunch of stuff on um, a bunch of agreements to try and get countries to stop exporting and digging up coal. Of course, Australia didn't sign any of those. Wasn't it like Australia, India, and China were the three that weren't willing to commit to that one? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, as, as as a developed country, Australia is just abysmal. It you can give some credit to the developing countries because it, it they they have it a bit harder. Not Australia. No, not Australia. As usual, um, Nick, did did anything good happen at COP twenty six though? Surely you got some some good news for me, right? Yeah, I mean. It's hard to... It depends who you speak to. I, I think there's been some good developments. Uh, in particular, there was a agreement from, I think, the the owner of, you know, 80% of the world's uh, forests to end deforestation over the next decade. So, like, that's a pretty good development. Of course, that's important in, in combating climate change. I also thought the raising of um, private capital, because it seems like... Um Although I don't really want it done this way. They're going to do it the neoliberal way and let private industry kind of lead this green revolution, if you will. Uh, and they raised a decent amount of private capital, I saw. So that's a, somewhat of a positive, I guess. Yeah. And there's, you know, the um, a lot of the climate funds as well for developing countries um, to fund renewables projects, which is, as you said, you know, slightly a kind of neocolonial way of doing things. Yeah, well, I mean, but you know, with the existential threat of climate change looming, yeah, I'll take anything. Yeah, at this yeah I'll point. take it. Yeah, I will take <laughs> it absolutely. And th- today, Rob, breaking news: the coalition announced their new electric vehicle policy, EV policy, um, and they said, contrary to uh, other sources' evidence, uh, they've said that thirty percent of new car sales in twenty thirty will be electric vehicles. Um, so we're not going to subsidize electric vehicles at all. There will be some infrastructure spending for electric vehicles in Australia, um, but a very lackluster policy. And keep in mind, this is the government and the prime minister who in 2019, in response to Labor's electric vehicle vehicle policy, said electric vehicles will take the weekend away. Yeah. Whatever that means. What does that mean, Nick? I've seen that clip a few times now. And I, I still don't understand it. Yeah, I don't get it. I, I never really got it. Um, I understood the $100, $100 rack of lamb or whatever the, <laughs> that was. I think, it, weren't they saying that like you just couldn't go anywhere? Like, Of course, electric vehicles yeah. don't work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. because the government won't spend the money on the infrastructure, basically. Yeah. Uh, I mean, but yeah, I'll point out in 2030, uh, many countries, including you know, similar countries like the UK, I think, uh, are talking about banning petrol car sales. Yep. So uh, and apparently in Australia, only thirty percent of your car sales will be EV. So again, Australia is, you know, dealing with issues that 
the rest of the world dealt with 10 years ago. Yeah. So, so a, a snail's pace, um, absolutely no leadership. Classic. And this is what's... This is genuinely what has happened for the last 10 years is Australia has just been put in neutral while the rest of the world has run ahead in not only this field, but so many other fields, you know, education, healthcare, you look at it, Australia has slipped drastically compared to the rest of the world over the last 10 years. I mean, we're just playing catch up and it's, it's because, you know, the, the coalition and some of the leaders under the coalition have just been captured by this, this echo chamber of super far right wing thinking yeah. it's you know linked to the murdoch media private interests from um industry and they've just had a chokehold on on policy and i think a lot of, a lot of people you know the li- liberal party in the coalition would be like yeah i would agree with that and be very upset with that because it is not absolutely not the majority view yeah it's it's a super minority that's really made us the the contributed to the downfall for the past decade. Yeah, and you summed it up perfectly there, Nick. I, I don't think I can really add too much to that. Um, again, we talk about this a lot, how depressing uh, it is, but it just it's so, so sad that we have to deal with these issues that were dealt with 10 years ago. And now, now that the rest of the world actually gives a shit about climate change, at least now we're getting called out for it, but it's just embarrassing now to be Australian. I know. Yeah, it is. It's quite sad. Anyways, Nick, um, even closer to home, McGowan set some new targets, said some things. Um, was it uh, Monday morning last week? Yeah, something, something like, like that. that. Yeah, 90% vaccine rate required before the borders are going to reopen. So, um, <laughs> I, just, I just don't. I, what, why? I don't get it, Rob, to be honest. Yeah, I, nor do I. So, his reasoning was, you know, there's 200 extra deaths um at 80% opening up, you know, 200,000 extra cases, I think it was, and, you know, 500 extra ICU cases. As I said to you earlier in the week, I'm not too concerned if 200 extra anti-vaxxers die, really. And that's, <laughs> that's yeah, very I mean, harsh. Look, 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 like, you, it's very difficult to quantify life, but you can't just give up and not do it because... Like, you know, talk about the economic um, incentives. There's a huge shortage of workers in WA now because no one can get in or out. Yeah. And that's affecting the economy, right? Absolutely. We're, we're, we're playing catch up here. I, I just don't know why Mark McGowan did it, to be honest. Because obviously, like, I, I just really doubt that people think this is a reasonable policy. Uh, is he trying to increase his popularity, really double down on the, you know, McGowan keeps WA strong we're not going to listen to the eastern states or to canberra kind of thing i it must be but well i'm not sure it's it's clear that he's run himself on this um kind of ultra health advice if you put that in quotations uh following and just basically only basing his policy upon health advice rather than considering a lot of wider variables with this issue well yeah the health advice which is just entirely open to yeah the health advice is they don't release necessarily um and yeah you could take many different interpretations on what the best course of action is based on the health advice so yeah absolutely nick and so it's 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 difficult to say because i feel like the prediction that it will be open in uh, was it march april i think uh i think it's february yeah Yeah. feb march 
I don't see that happening. 90% has proved to be very, very difficult to achieve. Yeah, Victoria um, aren't at 90% yet. They're exactly. at 86, I think. Because that last kind of 15% seem to be genuine, either conscientious objectors, entirely to anti-vaxxers, or uh, just don't see the point in it. Yeah. And you see a lot of people here, particularly uh, you know older generations, saying... I don't really care. I'm happy to just go around WA. I'm not that fussed about travel. Um, when in reality, there's so many more variables than just your personal travel. Like, you know, I know the influx and um, of labor that is needed in yeah. WA. Yeah, I know. Is uh, sorely needed. And the fact that we haven't really kind of caught up with the rest of Australia is concerning. Well, people are obsessed with this idea that uh, taking the vaccine is, you know, their their own fundamental choice, and it's like one of their like rights to reject the vaccine, and it's like obviously just like bullshit. It's just like a bunch of you know, liberal propaganda that yeah. you have these fundamental rights to your body. It's like I mean, not really though. Like, there's a lot of things you have to do with regards to your body to be a part of the community. Um, and it makes absolute sense that for the benefit of everyone, you need to get the vaccine. Yeah, just on vaccines, I just want to say two things quickly, Nick. Firstly, one thing that's one positive thing that's come out of this, um, you know, pathway out is it's clear now that the vaccine um, push is much heavier from McGowan. You're seeing these Bunnings, um, Bunnings rollouts, and we'll probably see some incentives pretty soon, which. It's got to be a good thing, right? That'll convince a few people that just can't really be bothered getting it, you know, rather than those that are conscientious and conscientiously objecting. Um, so that's good, right? But secondly, have you seen that um, the United Australia Party is running on genuine anti-vax like policies now? Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. <laughs> like, yeah, they're just trying to capture any kind of fringe political support they can, I guess. I can't believe that. Surely that's not a smart... Like, w, uh, Australia is one of the least anti-vax countries in the world yeah, at this point. Yeah, we do a lot better in the US. Yeah. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. Yeah, I, who, who knows what, what Palmer's doing. Strange. So strange. Yeah, so weird, right? Yeah. I mean, I just hope, I hope the actual proportion of true anti-vaxxers in WA is not as high as 15 10%. It can't be, right? I feel like there's a lot of people that just either waiting for a better one or just can't really be well, fucked. But like waiting waiting for a better vaccine, you mean? Yeah, well, you hear all well, these yeah, people that's that are completely saying illogical, that. though. Yeah. I, I think those people are you know, vaccine hesitant, really. Yeah, but, you know, I think those people are more likely to be convinced than the genuine, full-blown conspiracy theory, yeah. like no vaccine is good true, true. types. Yeah, I just, I get very angry about this. I know, Nick, I know. <laughs> I just, yeah. yeah. Anyway, anyway, Rob, last last piece of news we have here, Friendly Jimmy's or Friendly Geordie's is he's more often known as um, Jordan Shanks, obviously the YouTuber slash journalist in New South Wales, uh, who was locked in a defamation battle with former Premier John Barilaro, uh, has settled. John Barilaro has settled and uh, no damages were paid to Barilaro yeah. for the allegedly defamatory content so there you go so no damages i think he had to say sorry basically yeah yeah he had to do some stuff but no videos will be taken down yeah um, he's also can no longer sell like his merch that <laughs> had john barilaro like as a scrotum yeah nice so <laughs> um 
Yeah, I yeah, I think win for uh free you know, free speech. Yeah, um, and just criticizing politicians because yeah, that would have been ridiculous if that was truly defamation. I'm. It's a little annoying that it's settled. I wouldn't mind seeing that gone right the way through and. Uh, Barilara getting completely shut down in the courts, but oh, just having some new case law as well on defamation, yeah, <laughs> would, be, would be good. Because um, there's a clear issue now where defamation has become basically a tool for elites in the system to basically just you know it, somewhat silence critics. We've yeah. seen it with Porter and now Barilara. Yeah, I mean, yeah, defamation law absolutely needs reform, but yeah, will the coalition do that? No way. So, no. so gonna have to wait for a, a Labor government whenever, <laughs> whenever that'll be. Yeah, remember to vote next year, guys. <laughs> well, you have to, but yeah, remember to vote for. Yeah, anyway, <laughs> the good guys. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, we're we're bipartisan podcast. Uh, Rob, of course. I want to talk to you about the USA, United States of America, America. Yep. Because Go. I mean, things are you know really heating up over there. So big news. Two pieces of big news, Rob. One good for Biden and one bad for Biden last week. So they've passed this a trillion dollar infrastructure bill with bipartisan supports, you know, support from some Republicans in the House and the Senate. This is a pretty important one. A lot of spending on roads, highways, broadband across the, the, the nation. Really important one to, you know, stimulate the economy, Rob. Uh, and have some much-needed infrastructure because yeah, infrastructure in the US was <laughs> is really crumbling. <laughs> like it's crazy if you compare it to like you know, roads and stuff here. It's it's yeah, it's crazy. Anyway, yeah. that was a big win for Biden because it was part of his platform. You know, his presidential platform. A lot of spending to re-stimulate the economy. But another thing that was bad for Biden that happened last week was uh, a Republican, Glenn Youngkin. Uh, won the Virginia governor race. And Virginia haven't had a Republican governor in like 10 years. And this guy was seen as a kind of tr- semi-Trump mirror. Yep. He, you know, I think he's really set the standard for Republican candidates now for things like governor elections. He wasn't like, super, didn't directly imitate Trump, but he didn't do anything to piss off the Trump loyalists. Um, he was a slightly kind of found a, a bit more of a moderate spot and appeased some of those more moderate Republicans who didn't like Trump. So he found a kind of a good spot in the middle. Yep. So somewhere between John McCain and Donald Trump. Exactly. Wherever the right. hell that is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and this guy won and he wasn't really predicted to win. And it was a big upset for Democrats because yeah, it was seen as a kind of referendum in quotes on Biden's your first year of his presidency. Yeah, so Biden, we should say, is at a pretty much all-time low for his um, popularity. Yeah. Opinion polling has him at 42%, I believe, Nick. Yeah, and Rob, there's only one president in history that's had a lower opinion polling at this rate in their, at this stage in their presidency. Can you guess which one that was? Hmm. Be a tough one to guess. Yeah. You know, off the top of my head, was it the last president? Yeah, it was actually. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, the most unpopular president in history. Yeah. Um, So... Nick, yeah. do you know many reasons why this has gone south so quickly for Biden? Because yeah. it seems, you know, surely a, pre- a president that was the most voted for president of all time. Yeah. Which is, you know, a bit of a null and void statistic. But we'll I move mean, that a lot of confusing side. statistics out here, you know, because it was one of the elections which galvanized 
you know, just support from normal citizens the most ever, you know? Yeah. It was such a politically charged election. But yeah, now we're seeing you know, a lot of people uh, not loving what Biden is doing, you know, some Democrats as well. One of the things I've heard, Rob, is because Trump is slightly more out of the picture now, the thing that unified the Democrats the most, you know, this bitter hatred of Trump and Trumpism uh, is kind of slightly vanished. So some of the gaps between Democrats uh, are a bit more visible now. And, you know, example of this, Rob, is Democrat like Joe Manchin, which some people may have heard of. He's a senator in West Virginia. And he's just this super rich, coal-loving guy, basically should be a Republican based on all his political beliefs, but is a Democrat and is really being super difficult for Biden. Biden is trying to pass this other bill, which it would be a $1.75 trillion bill on like social spending instead of infrastructure. So it'd be on like childcare subsidies, subsidies for pharmaceuticals, uh, which yep. is something, you know, uh, that... Democrats, especially progressive Democrats, have been calling for for a long time because things like insulin are 10 times more expensive in the US than they are in, say, Canada, which is, you know, ridiculous because it's just people with with diseases that need their medicine and it's too expensive. Yeah. Also, a lot of climate change spending. But this guy, uh, this guy, Joe Manchin, is not happy with all this spending and it's really, this bill hasn't passed yet and it's, you know, in jeopardy potentially because Joe Manchin and some other Democrats who are way closer to the center really are worried that this is too much spending and it will piss off Republican voters. Yeah. Well, you see, you, we remember from the election last year that um, it's basically, I think it's completely even in the US Senate, right? 50 senators each? Yeah. Um, and yeah, and that, the, that of course means yeah, that Kamala Harris cast the deciding vote. So, you know... Uh, one thing the Republicans have done really well in the last 20 years is their unity as a as a party to just, you know, always shut down um, any Democrat bill, pretty much. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, when you lose your, your own support from your own party, it's very difficult to get anything done. Um, and it's very difficult for uh, Biden right now because the economy slowed a little bit as uh, we've seen another wave of COVID in the US, actually, as vaccine hesitancy has risen a bit. So it's made he's it's hurt him on you know his two key things of we'll get us out of this um, uh, coronavirus issue that was one of his key points going into the election of we won't have another wave like we've had five hundred waves on it Trump um, and you know this will bring about economic growth and we're gonna you know kickstart America again under the four bizarre years that we had under Trump. And it's very difficult to do that when people are vaccine hesitant and you can't pass money through the through the house. Yeah, you think vaccine hesitancy is a problem in Australia. <laughs> Jesus. You know, the vaccine rate in the US is still like 60% or 50% or something. Yeah, I'll get that up for you. Nick. Yeah, um, and it's just because people in these deep red states, these deep Republican states, it's just vaccines have become entirely political. It's just, you know, if you're a hardline Republican, you're not going to get the vaccine. Who knows why? Who knows how it got to that point? Um, but it's still such a divided country and politically charged country, Rob. So, Nick, uh, vaccine rate is 58% fully vaxxed, that is. And we see in, ironically, Joe Manson's home state of West Virginia, 
we see vaccine rates of 41% fully vaxxed. And it just shows, like, you know, the, the complete division that still exists in that country. You know, we a lot of people thought that, you know, as soon as Biden won, it would be, you know, there's an old white guy who's pretty normal and doesn't do Twitter diplomacy. It'll all just go back to normal. The US will reunite and make America great again and all that business, right? But no, this country's still fucked, right? It's still incredibly divisive. Yeah. And politics is not getting any easier in that country. And I tell you what, Nick, I think we're going to keep seeing um, kind of this this uh, seemingly constant wave we've seen pretty much since the Clinton years in the 90s of you win your election, you're very popular for a brief honeymoon period, and then you lose your midterms, everything gets a bit fucked. You win, um, you know, your, your re-election if you're anyone yeah. but Trump. Yeah. Um, and it just it just seems like this kind of gridlock that has existed in US politics for the last 30 years is just going to keep happening and happening until the deepest of issues are addressed in those poorest of states which happen to be republican states yeah i know like that's why it's so critical to get this infrastructure spending and this other spending done for biden and you know for i think the welfare of the u.s as well is to just get some investment into that country like because i'm i'm very sure that we'll see a slight gop swing um in the midterms oh it always happens yeah so there will be but and they don't have a majority in the Senate, so yeah. it's going to be tough to... It, it will know. be tough. They've got to get done before next year. But yeah, likely Biden will win his second term. Um, yeah, likely, especially if the Republicans keep down this Trump line. Yeah, and something as well, Rob. I mean, this is probably be the last point because we do have to wrap up. <laughs> I've heard no one talk about this. It's a bit morbid. But the people who've died from COVID in the US, and there's a lot of them, it's hundreds of thousands. Yep. are they more likely to be Republican voters? And especially now going forward because they're not vaccinated. I'd say almost certainly, Nick. I can't imagine why that wouldn't be a case. 100,000 voters, like that's not not insignificant, you know? Yeah, no, that's (laughs) not insignificant. And in a country (laughs) where the vast majority don't vote for the the Republicans, that is, it's going to make it very hard if all your voters are dead, by the way. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Um, But to end on that morbid note, uh, thanks for listening. And don't forget to follow us on our, on our socials, guys. Um, at Unrepresentative Swill on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And at Swill Podcast on Twitter. We'll see you next week. We'll see you next week on time, ready to go, feeling yeah. refreshed. <laughs> <laughs>